0: Host of today's episode is Stephanie Thompson, and I'm joined by Paddy McKenna. Paddy's a Community Development Manager at Castleton Housing Association, and she tells us about her journey from volunteering in Australia to working within New Zealand and her journey back to Glasgow within youth work and community development in the Castleton Enjoy today's
1: episode. Well, my name is Paddy McKenna, I'm the Community Development Manager at Castleton Housing Association. And, um, currently that's my role, but I've had a bit of a kind of journey within CLD and, um, I think like most folk, you kind of end up on the journey. You don't quite mm-hmm. know why or where you're going. Um, but personally in House, and I started as a community development officer and was really lucky that I was able to build the role, um, and build the team. So we've now got, um, like four community workers mm-hmm. and some freelancers. Um, but shall I go way back to kinda of how it started? Yeah, yes. <laughs> how did you
0: end up at Casserton?
1: So, um my first kind of role that I would regard as being like in the community
0: mm-hmm.
1: um apart from, you know, working in farm foods and working as a waitress, which I think really gives you the skills to be working kinda of frontline community. Definitely.
0: Work. No one knows more about communities than people that work in and- like local supermarkets like totally. that definitely.
1: Totally. Um but I did them um, psychology as my undergrad. Um and initially that was based on one chapter in a biology book when I okay. was doing like higher human biology and there was, you know, one chapter called Psychology. Um hadn't heard the word and I was like, oh this is about humans. This mm-hmm. might explain
0: this really odd human behaviour that's around all the time. Um, And was that something that always interested you, like working with people and like human behaviour, those type of things?
1: So, do you know, yes. So basically, probably realise my name's Paddy, which is generally speaking a male's name and I'm um, female. And that gave me a very quick insight into... Not understanding human expectations and human behaviour, so oh. I've been called Paddy since um, I was three, mm-hmm. and all through primary school, you know that was my name. Mm-hmm. Didn't recognise it as anything different. And my first day of high school, my mum says to me, "Oh, by the way, Paddy's um, a boy's name. Your real name's Patricia. You're probably going to get bullied for it. Have a lovely day." Oh, great! Thanks for like, heads up, Mum. Oh. <gasps> first. <laughs> Existential crisis, <laughs> um, and then going into like high school, there's much more obviously like, gendered expectations. Yeah. Um, I just found it all really confusing because in my household, it wasn't particularly gendered. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it wasn't in many ways, but not in kind of obvious ways mm-hmm. like the sports you play or
0: like traditional ways yeah, as such. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, and I think that gave me when I've reflected on it my first kind of. Um, curiosity around social etiquette Mm -hmm. and human behaviour, why, why, the kind of why, which um, I'd like to say that I was just a really early critical thinker, but I don't think that was the case. (laughs) Um, So that kind of, when I saw this um, chapter on kind of psychology, I was like, oh, that's about humans. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to apply to do that. And the school I was at, which a lot of folk will, resonate with, you know, there wasn't a careers advisor, there wasn't mm-hmm. the expectation that you would be somebody who went to uni. Right, or okay. who so
0: that wasn't the norm?
1: No, and it's it just wasn't from my memory and pals that I've still got from high school and stuff it was a kind of postcode thing, um, you know, mm-hmm. it felt like it wasn't expected if you grew up, I grew up in Dumbarton, mm-hmm. Um and it just wasn't Ever a conversation, I can't remember any teacher and I'm sure some of them did and I maybe can't remember, but Mm. I can't remember it being a prominent part of my education where it's like, what do you want to be, what do you want to do, Mm. Um, you could be this, you could be that, what are you interested in, what career could you get, Um, so when I was doing my UCAS form on a BBC computer, (laughs) 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 um, I'd seen that it was an option, again, didn't really know what it meant. Um, and got accepted. So I did that, and then had, like, it was a honors course, so it was four years, and I just, like, did it, didn't really enjoy it. Um,
0: Did you just kind of go through the motions with it a little bit?
1: Yeah, just kind of, you know, for me, education and things like that, I, I didn't particularly like with a... grew up so it was how to get out Mm. so it was like I was really studious but it was um I I felt and still feel like you know I've got to study really hard to understand something (laughs) so I'd be at school then I'd be at support study then I'd go to library after school and for me the driver was um I want out of this place Mm. um and that is essentially...
0: Like That's your ticket out. Uh-huh, like, yeah. uh-huh, and I'm sure I don't
1: necessarily agree with, you know, as a like adult, but as a teenager, definitely.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that will be listening and feeling the same, whether that is from in a area where that's not really yeah. the, the given that you go to university or like you're seeing people from that little bit further out that see it as this will give me somewhere else to go geographically, start over, yeah. change the scenery and I think it's really common when you go straight from school as well to just be like that sounds all right. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah.
1: so, and then you go straight from school as a 17 year old to somewhere like um, Glasgow Uni who I know I do loads of work around kind of wider participation stuff now but then you feel out of place there so actually thinking again about um, kind of what led to a career in CLD and things like that was what I kind of reflected on as well Is actually it wasn't the place necessarily it was the kind of structures around it so Mm -hmm. didn't feel at home at home, didn't feel at home at uni, didn't feel at home doing xyz and then once you get a kind of CLD lens you're like ah, it's not the place, it's the system, it's mm-hmm. the structures, it's... Identity, huh. Yeah. That's what fuels um, the the thing you're trying to navigate away from. Mm-hmm. But then with the CLDLN, you can kind of navigate into mm-hmm. and understand and then be like, oh, it's not me, it's,
0: it's the system, or, you know... Um, <laughs> it's been there for thousands of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So with doing psychology, um, I came out of that with a kind of... Um, then learning the word sociology within that context yeah. and being like, oh, that's that's what I'm interested in, um, which I felt, which, is again, it's, it's funny reflecting back, I was like, oh, well, that's me 22 now. <laughs> Over the hill. I, I, I can't, you know, I've got my psychology, and I did um, kind of look at pursuing that and just didn't, essentially, but mm-hmm. um, straight from of uni or during I can't quite remember I got um, my job with the National Autistic Society um, mostly working with uh, young adults with autism and supporting them to access things that they should be able to access, you know, Mm -hmm. going to the bowl and going to the cinema, socialising, connecting um, as well as um, laterally supporting a couple of um, young people attending uni so I would go with them and okay. go to lectures with them, scribe mm. um, alongside them, supporting them with their study and things like that. Um, and that was my f- what I would see as my first job in communities, again, whilst also recognising that as a waitress and as a mm-hmm. like farm foods retail assistant and my paper round was
0: really useful <laughs> as well. Oh, definitely, that's yeah. good networking,
1: if anything else. Yeah, totally. Um, then from there... I moved to Australia and New Zealand for oh, wow. about two and a half years um, and in Australia it was only really waitressing that I could get based on the visa I had but I volunteered in various roles. Um, what kind of places did you volunteer over there? So one of them which was actually really interesting was um, a project I can't remember the exact name but i went to you know like um, a community centre that yeah. had, like, a volunteer information drop-in thing. And the time, it was based on what time and day suited me. Yeah. That I went in. um Just hospitality <laughs> shifts, Yeah. I like, Exactly. And this one was for older adults to... Um, it was, yeah, so it was a longitudinal study that okay. a physiotherapist was doing, and it was called the Falls Prevention Programme, I'm now remembering. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it was working with older adults in the community to do really light exercise okay. and social connection mm-hmm. and it was to see the impact on that on their general well being. So cool. how did it impact doing when I say really light exercise I mean like really light standing up and down from a yeah. chair and stuff like that. Um so the study was looking at yeah, how did it impact on rural well being and it was essentially kind of challenging the stereotype that once you get to a certain age and stage, you should be stopping doing any kind of exercise. Mm. And they were saying that generally that results in folk falling more because your muscles deteriorate much quicker and stuff. But it was, again, probably my first experience working with older adults in that context and seeing firsthand the impact of folk getting together. And mm-hmm. having the cups of teas, having the biscuits and um hearing their stories and creating space for folk to share their stories and um and again this is all, you know, retrospective being like, Oh, that must be why I'm interested in this now. Mm-hmm. So it's like it just um all adds to kind of a collective kind of knowledge base for then
0: uh, going forward with things, doesn't mm-hmm. it? But it sounds like for something that was such a kind of formal study that it was a really nice environment. Yeah,
1: yeah, it really was. And the the person that led on it was, again, I'm only just thinking about this now, there's actually things that that person done to create the welcoming atmosphere mm-hmm. that I can now see I've definitely learnt from. Yeah, you and know. picked up on and Yeah, yeah, totally. So folk felt really... Um, welcome and they didn't feel, well, I mean, never, I I got the sense that they didn't feel that kind of way that some people in communities feel where they're just like the subject of research, that kind of quite unethical um, way that some can, some research can happen. So Mm. that was really lovely experience. Um, And then I moved to New Zealand and I was a mental health um, support worker for young people. Amazing. For a while, and part of that was um, a kind of service design element. So okay. we were setting up um, a new service for young people who weren't um, unwell enough to be in a um, hospital, okay, okay. but weren't well enough to be at home. And when I say well enough, it was um, mostly young people who were at risk of completing suicide and okay. things. So we created a home-like environment, okay. um, which was literally in a house in a street, um, and it was for people to stay with us for as long as kind of was needed um, to get that kind of 24-hour support. And, um, again, a big part of that was supporting people to link in with what was in their geographical communities, what were their interests, mm-hmm. what does um, well-being look like for you. Like, yeah. it was really a kind of holistic way of young people to view themselves and their place in the world and things like
0: that um that must have been a really big change for you as a practitioner as well like in terms of what obviously you work with young like kind of young people before Mm -hmm. in scotland and then going to kind of like older people's work to then be in like almost kind of residential sport accommodation type work with young people that were kind of you know experiencing a lot like what was that change like did you kind of take to it or were you a bit like oh because it sounds like it could be something that's really overwhelming at points as well
1: yeah um i guess i just took to it um it's making me wonder if i've, if I've missed a role between that because i can't remember it ever feeling like i think with all the cld stuff i've done so far it's always felt like i'm in the right place at the right time this is what i should be yeah? doing now mm-hmm.
0: um and sometimes it's just a good fit as yeah, well, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: exactly. And I love youth work, like, I love working with young people. Even when I was, um, you know, at that point doing that job, I think I was like 24, yeah. So some of the young people that came through were the same age as me, mm-hmm. yeah, which I think. creates its own kind of dynamic mm-hmm. sometimes.
0: And you know, having to maintain boundaries and things like that, but um, I think that's something that's always a challenge with youth work because so many people start off as you know, young volunteers or session workers so at the time. Mm-hmm. It is your peer group, yeah. which I think stands in good stead for if you ever do go into community development work, but it is when you're also that age and you're still finding yourself and stuff, it's something that can, you can sometimes rely on your elder practitioners to help navigate. Yeah,
1: definitely, definitely. And um, and it, yeah, it, it can be, be tricky, but I can see why some organisations probably deliberately hire in that way because uh uh it's like there's so many positives to it definitely um so yeah did that role for about a year and then came back to scotland and worked for Action for children um and that was within residential so that Mm -hmm. was again a new service and when i've been reflecting this i'm like oh i'm definitely drawn to new (laughs) roles a Face challenge Uh Mm -hmm. being like right i'm gonna do something i'm gonna create something um and that was a new service for young people who um, were looked after and accommodated for various reasons. Um, so we like set up that service again, and essentially um, was working alongside. I think it was seven of his colleagues to again be that kind of what we now see is like that one good adult type thing yeah. um, for three um, young people. Okay, so did that for three years, and then, um, applied, and that then, um, within all of that, actually, I was thinking, what, what, what further education will I do, like, what qualification mm-hmm. will I get, um, and there was a period of time where every job I saw, there was this thing called community development, because mm-hmm. by that point, I hadn't actually heard of it.
0: Or classed what you were yeah, doing, as yeah. that, even though a lot of it probably very much was. Exactly,
1: exactly, um, so I was like what's this like what's this essential criteria that I don't have but I want <laughs> that job <laughs> um, and uh, obviously looked it up and just the the course description I just remember thinking and possibly speaking out loud I was like this is it like this is
0: these are my people <laughs> uh, this is
1: what I want to know more about this is what I think um, everybody should know about this is what I want to mm, do mm-hmm. Um and it was actually when I was in New Zealand that I'd seen that but it took me about three or four years to save up for the masters because um, mm, it's,
0: it's funding, yeah, it's expensive um, and was um, that something obviously in Scotland you've got kind of like CLD structures in terms of like it's something that's quite well known across local authorities and stuff mm-hmm. did you during your time New Zealand or Australia was that something that was quite prominent in their practice as well at that kind of government level or was it more when you were looking for things back here?
1: So it was more when I was looking, I had the sense that I was moving back to Scotland so mm-hmm. I was looking in the Scotland context mm-hmm. for the further education um, and it's interesting because when I worked there and other places and I kind of try and do it differently with my team, I, f- I felt like um, you weren't aware of the bigger context. You know, you'd mm. done your frontline work, yeah, and you were aware there's a bigger picture, but you weren't privy to it. Mm. And again, that can sometimes have its own uh, challenges because you feel like you're sometimes given the 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 burden of having to strategically think to someone who's also trying to do just their frontline work. So I think mm. there's balance to be kind of struck there. But I wasn't really aware of the context. Um, like, I was like that makes more sense. Uh-huh. um learnt more from that visual, you know, visually uh, uh, family marae than four years really. Um, but yeah, so worked for children. Then uh throughout all that, was like saving up for the masters and then applied for the masters in community learning and development.
0: And was that back at Glasgow? That
1: was in Glasgow. Yep. So did that 2015-2016.
0: Um, which I feel it should be last year, but it's know. not. And you know, I'm like, that was like six years ago. <laughs> I
1: know, I know. Oh I know. Um and then got a job as a youth development worker, mostly doing um programmes, um, like workshops across Glasgow on initially it was funded to do like sectarianism work or mm-hmm. anti sectarianism work I should mm-hmm. say. Um and also um anti-violence work but within the kind of sectarianism essentially we covered all isms and then whichever one emerged Mm -hmm. within the group is the one you would kind of focus
0: on and how would you so was that kind of city-wide would you go do kind of outreach work with particular groups or how was that like identified where you get sent and yeah so
1: my understanding of how it works again that was definitely a role where it was put in your diary and then you went and yeah. you were in the workshop and then you came back and
0: I was like, hmm, why do they keep sending me to the same <laughs>
1: place? <laughs> like But my understanding was um, schools would allocate their budget to get, you know, external creditors. Okay. I don't know if at the time if it was like PEF, I think it might have been before PEF
0: and all that. Um So it was sc- schools yep. based? Oh cool. Yeah. Mostly schools, um
1: so high school and primary school, mm-hmm. some youth uh, clubs. Like we did something at um, the Corpoles, the barn. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very different context. So obviously, you go there to kick about. You don't go for someone like me to be like. What do you think about violence? <laughs> do you know what I mean? So you need to be more
0: strategic I in I how you're starting really, those conversations.
1: Uh-huh, really switch the program around that. Um, but yeah, that was really good learning for being thrown into a context. The teacher was asked to leave, so you've got you know, 30 mm-hmm. odd young people. And we all remember what it was like when, you know, you got blessed with someone. So I was that person for a while. Um
0: And it takes them a while to kinda of test your boundaries and figure you out a wee bit as well. Yeah. Like whereas I think I mean it still happens, but when you go into something in a youth or community setting there's already that like certain I'm trying to think like vibe and atmosphere or whatever whereas going into a classroom and being like I promise I'm really sounding this is going to be fun it's just like we'll see
1: yeah exactly exactly um but again I I totally love all that like some of the one-liners folk came out with I'm like I can't help but just laugh at them do you know what I mean it's just brilliant so um that was really good for um learning more about you know delivery of workshops facilitating quite difficult conversations
0: you must have totally built up your toolbox oh, yeah. like in that those kind of situations yep. and things.
1: In speaking of toolboxes, I kind of wish I knew there were toolboxes because you, you know, I sometimes <laughs> I know. see things. I'm like, I invented that, like, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, oh no, that was just that that's existed for a long time. But yeah. I hadn't, I didn't know it existed, and thought I made it up. So, um, but yeah, that was brilliant for that, and then then got the community development officer job at, at Castleton, which has now been about seven years.
0: Oh wow! Time flies. So, So how was that transition from youth? Because obviously, apart from your stuff in Australia, working at older generation, it's been quite kind of youth dominated. mm -hmm. So, how was that transition into wider community development role?
1: Kind of workplaces and volunteering that I guess made me feel really quite well equipped to begin a role that went focused kind of solely on youth work to to um, wider community work. Um. so to kind of give an overview of that um, I had quite a lot of volunteering experience aside from the one I kind of spoke about so I have volunteered in a school for young folk with additional support needs kind of as a classroom assistant and I was um, about 17 at the time and just kind of looking for experience um, and from that I definitely got the sense that do I want to work with young people? Yes. Do I want to work in a school setting? No. <laughs> so that was uh, really useful for that. Um another volunteering experience I had which was like quite short lived based on um at the time I was doing like two jobs and couldn't really commit, but it was in um a project working alongside people experiencing homelessness in Glasgow. And it was a kind of like soup kitchen type place. Um, But I think that gave me a real um, appreciation for a kind of dignified approach to food insecurity and food poverty. It was set up very much like a cafe um, where they were a valued customer. There was choice. Maro there was as a waitress. And, you know, playing cards with somebody or chatting with somebody was sitting themselves as well as all the kind of signposting you'd expect Um, another kind of volunteer thing that I had which was in Cambodia, Um, so before I was in Australia and ended up in New Zealand I had like two and a half months in Cambodia, Vietnam and Thailand Um, went for all the reasons that you would expect a 22 year old to go Um, adventure and experience and all of that and um, when you're there it's um, you know quite stark poverty particularly in like Cambodia in uh, Vietnam at the time so this was like um, like 14 years ago or so or 13. Um, so yeah when, when you're there there's like abject poverty there's really problematic and illegal behaviour mostly by Western men towards women and children and just being there felt compelled to use my time in a way that could be useful. So um kinda of went to an internet cafe and looked up different places and presented herself as um can we be a resource to you? And the place that we kinda of ended up was in a wee village outside CM Reap And it was a self-help community centre and again on re- re- um, reflection, it was my first and probably most obvious and brilliant example of asset-based community development. So that was um, a kind of an NGO started by a young man that lived in the village who essentially wanted to create a space for children to access free education because at the time there was a kind of bigger public school a wee a wee travel away but still um quite close but there was a kind of monetary expectation for things like a, a you know notebooks uniform um and also to pay some of the, the teachers as well so he didn't have an education himself um based on having to work as a child and he tells the story of having a few jobs <laughs> and um, doing one of his jobs in a tourist bus stop and folk in the bus taking photos of him. And he talks about it being the real kind of turning point around why won't I or the folk in my village have that camera? Why won't I or the folk in my village be on a bus like that? And he tells the story of then dedicating himself to earn as much money as he could to create a space for his village um, and with 700 American dollars that's what he did and um, I looked quite recently and they're doing really well and got a huge kind of sustainable development project and things so really lucky to to be involved in that and when I say about it being asset based community development, one of the things that really struck me was um, my friend and I were really keen to avoid the kind of white saviour, kind of uh, volunteering that can sometimes happen in places like that. And we were very much um, made aware that, you know, we weren't the experts. The the local teachers there were the experts, the local young people were the experts. And we were there to assist and to be a temporary resource, but they had the resources that they needed. And that was predominantly um, the people in the village. Um, and the main kind of focal point of that project at that time was English learning and they just wanted young people to experience as many accents as possible so um, we kind of hoped it would be other people that left after us with perhaps an English accent or Australian that would reduce the Scottish twang that developed very nicely over the few weeks so that again didn't know but what was involved in, but it was definitely asset-based community development. Um, another training and volunteering opportunity I had was with EcoSea, and that was back in Scotland. And that was um, when I lived in Glasgow again. And that was um, an advocacy, or sorry, it is an advocacy charity. Um, and their are advocates directed to working alongside people who experience mental ill health and who have learning and physical disabilities. So their training was brilliant. I think it was like four weeks and that really equipped me to do all the things you'd expect an advocate to be able to do, um, have a better understanding of people's rights, of the um, parts of society that they were excluded from based by design, I suppose. And my role there was um, visiting a young family once a week. Um, So two parents with learning disabilities, and their wee baby, and to be a support for them in whatever way was kind of needed, which in the advocacy, role was, you know, supporting with life admin, what, what what's this meeting about they've been invited to, and then attending meetings um, if the person or people wanted me to, and, you know, stopping a meeting with a multidisciplinary te- team to ask what that dragon word meant, what the acronym is. So, um, and I, I should say that all the volunteering I've done, it's um had to link in with my my paid role because it's always been alongside like paid work. So, I think sometimes folk aren't um confident enough to you new know, approach somewhere and say that I can volunteer. But what learning opportunities will you give me? It has to fit my life. It has to be something that um is sustainable for me and. Equally, we're we're brown at that, deliberately placing with some where that was only like a 15-minute cycle from my paid employment. Um, Also volunteered as a research assistant, and that was because I was thinking about pursuing research, but then thought it would be useful if I wanted to get on some kind of master's. And that was really useful because I was kind of told different waiting rooms to go to across different kind of centres, health centres and hospitals across Glasgow. And my role in that was um, to tell people about Triple P program, so the Positive Parenting Programme, and ask folk for details if they wanted to um, sign up. And what that taught me was... Um, how to approach people sensitively, ethically, how to read body language that screams out, don't talk to me, in respect in that. Um, but also putting myself way out my comfort zone with trying to find places, but also um, approaching folk who um, are just, you know, minding their own business and I'm speaking to them. So that was like way out my comfort zone. Um, but really, useful and added to that that toolbox um another kind of reason why i felt quite well equipped i think was um all the roles that i had like up until a certain point i just didn't feel confident that the people i was working alongside were leaving the interaction feeling heard so i would go away worried like did i respond properly did they feel listened to? Oh God, did I say the right thing? Particularly when you're working alongside folk, um, and I can kind arrest of respite space for mental health, and as you can imagine, lots of harrowing stories, experiences, trauma, and I just wasn't, I just wasn't confident myself. So I found a course, which is kind of my response to things, and did a year-long certificate in counselling, which um, was. I would say probably the most difficult thing I've ever done. Um, some folk may be aware, but the, the way you learn in a course such as that is that you go in triad, so you've got um, the observer, then you've got the um, learner, so the person in the, lear- the counselling role, and then you've got the speaker, and you're all learning together, so you take a different role you know at different times but as the speaker you have to talk about your own experiences and for me at that time that was um incredibly uncomfortable it still is like this podcast itself is like way out of my comfort zone so um i couldn't walk away from it though because i wanted the certificate so You know, the the sweats, the red face, the shakes, the feeling sick, um, all that was really good learning because um, I now think about that quite regularly when I'm designing a workshop or you know, a recent example, I just ran a focus group on the Rise and Cost of Living and it takes a lot of courage for folk to share their experiences. and I think as well, like when the sector kind of talks about lived experiences, there's a kind of notion of like past tense for a lot of people, it's an ongoing experience. So um, yeah, so the Costco course was really good for um, learning more about empathy, compassion, unconditional positive regard, person-centered approach, and how to directly apply that as well as you know practical skills like um, being comfortable with silence which you probably noticed if not yet um honed that skill um and lots of other things and that course actually overlapped with the masters which was a tricky few months but it was all good and other kind of paid roles that involved kind of working in different contexts was um with sow seeds in the south Glasgow Glasgow um, and that role was like sessional work in a community garden so that's kind of one of my um, interests which now is just in a personal capacity not um, I don't directly do that at work anymore um, but that again gave me a kind of skill set to working in green space getting to know how important green space is for communities whether it's the obvious reasons of um, physical well being, mental well being, but also um creating space for people to have critical conversations around land and food and growing and access to space and who who owns this and who says I can use that. Um so that was that was really good. So um yeah, so the transition from youth work to community work in in that time didn't feel like a challenge because of the different opportunities that I was lucky to have and I definitely still have an approach that is kind of ongoing learning Um, an example being I think the year before Covid whenever that was I felt disengaged from CLD theory and literature so um I took on a second job with Glasgow Uni as an associate tutor, so um, supervising master students' dissertations. And yes, I definitely could just have engaged with the literature, you know, in my own time and read a book. Um, but I, you know, I learn better when there's deadlines or when you'd be letting somebody down if you didn't. So that was kind of my approach to that. And I really enjoyed that. It was challenging for different reasons, and don't know if it's something I would do again alongside a full-time job, but it was, it was um, good for um, that part of my brain being sparked up again. Um, and also have volunteered um, in recent years with the Refugee Women's Centre in a kind of refugee camp near Cali. And again, kind of saw all the work that they were doing and um, had time kind of mid-December to mid-January one winter um, and said, can I be of use, this is my skill set, this is what I can offer. And yeah, I went there um, for nearly a month, not quite, and that was, um, you know, kind of humanitarian work essentially, which is one of um, my interests as well. Learned loads from people there, mostly how... Obviously, the, the folk that ended up there, just um, how people managed to to go on and still have laughter and be welcoming and be really passionate about their own communities back home, wherever that is, um, as well as learning from the people who were doing that kind of work day in, day out, some of whom are still there. I honestly don't know how they do it, um, and for me, yeah, all all these things add to that toolbox and have definitely impacted on on my
0: practice for sure. So, so what is tell us about about Castleton House Association where he's based and what's yeah. the kind of set up like? There you mentioned that you've got a kind of small team and yep. some volunteers and things like that.
1: Yeah, so we're in Castle. Uh, south east glasgow and um our team is amazing i think <laughs> <laughs> so i
0: agree with that but yeah. i'm not biased at all
1: <laughs> so um currently so we we're a, sm- a small housing association mm-hmm. very much community-led um and you know Very much led by your board, which is majority tenants, very into tenant participation in its
0: most meaningful sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So, the board being mostly tenants, is that something that's kind of written in for the board, or is that just something that came to be, or is that, forgive my ignorance on housing associations, is that like something that's a kind of rule written within the constitution of the housing association? So, it's
1: expected that tenants lead on their own. social housing, there is um, ongoing kind of board recruitment um, challenges across the sector, even Mm -hmm. all charities, I think. But within uh, social housing, it's often really tricky because, you know, back in the day when um, housings first came to be, there was a real visible fight to be fought. You know, I've got mushrooms growing out my walls, my wee ones got... um, this medical issue based on the dampness,
0: mm-hmm. whereas... Which is still life and well in some yes, some places, yeah. Definitely. But o- pro- hopefully not as, as much as yeah. what we've seen in the past. Yeah,
1: Yeah. whereas if you are a social landlord who um, doesn't have those issues or at least takes those issues seriously to their eyes, there's less of a visible fight to be fought. Mm-hmm, so there's yeah. often less, um, less participation at that level because it's a real, real commitment and it's, mm-hmm. you know leading the strategic um objectives of the organisation is a big, you know, it's a big undertaking. Personally I sit in two boards out with um my um paid role and it is really important and it's to be really valued. So the tenants that do take part, we're really thankful for that they, they are like leading, they're making decisions about their homes, their community um and their brilliant and actually the folk that are on it um, one of them, Anna Stewart, who, thinking about role models and things, um, there was Anna and um, some local families from Castamilk were the first to kind of start the housing cooperative kind of movement uh-huh. in uh, Glasgow, and at the time they um, were in Glasgow District Council kind of housing, mm-hmm. and you could see the, the photos of the, the kind of state of the houses, and that was Kind of across the board, the houses were popped up, um, and folk you know moved to Castle Drum Chapel Easter House. Yeah, these kind of satellite schemes. Yeah, and um, you know the at first folk folk tell stories have been like, "Oh my God, I've got a toilet in the house! This is amazing!" And a
0: bath, a shower. Yeah,
1: yeah, all that, and then um, the kind of short story is that folks say then there wasn't you know a long term maintenance budget. Is the mm. kind of. Uh, simple way of thinking of it so very quickly went into decline Um repairs weren't done maintenance wasn't done
0: because when and we think i mean like i'm just kind of in my late 20s so i like very much don't know what it was like before i'm like in my lifetime Cass milk and drum chapel and east house have just always been there but yeah. when you think of the sheer scale because i think at one yeah. point Cas milk was the biggest um house scheme in europe i don't know if that's population wise but if you think of the sheer scale yeah. of taking people out of that i would do it here, quotation marks like slums of mm. glasgow mm-hmm. out of these places like the sheer scale of the amount of housing that was built I, I can't fathom that into in today's like you know structures or whatever but yeah. you can totally see how places feel into decline when you think how much time and resource and funding it's, it took to build the scale of yeah. like these places
1: yeah definitely and folk that, you know, still live there and folk that, um, sit on our board, but also there's about five housing associations in Casamilk, as well as, you know, Casamilk's really interesting because any kind of, um, anything you see, whether it's the Julie, whether it's a youth whether it's, the, youth aid, whether it's, uh, the house, in, it started literally by local people, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, the Julie was local parents being like, I want... My like yeah. kids about the play and now it's a leading play
0: charity. Yeah, the July Peace Club is known, people listening are probably not like Julie Peace Club is known like Aye. citywide if not nationally for the for the work it's done and it was yeah. started proper grassroots, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. And I think um it's I honestly couldn't think of a like a better kind of first community development job to get. Because you guys are neighbours?
0: The Julie Peace Club and yeah, Castle yeah, House yeah, Association, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah literally. Um, but just being in a physical space where there's so much community activism, mm-hmm. you learn so much from from people and as well, Anna Stewart, she'll talk about, you know, um, basically this group of families got together being like, we could do this better. I know how to run a household. I've always had to live off a budget. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and she talks about it as if she's, you know, saying, Give us give us a housing budget and we'll do it But essentially mm-hmm. that's what happened. They um Amazing. were very you know, when you speak about like tactics and kind of radical community work. That's what they were doing, mm-hmm. you know, turning up at council meetings and all that. Um and they they did it, essentially is the kind of short story. So they um the council kind of signed over some houses and they formed a committee. They're like with never we're not housing professionals; they definitely are now, obviously. Yeah. But uh, and um, proved that it could could work, and that set the ball rolling for other housing cooperatives. Now, housing associations to be set up to be set up. So when you when you originally asked about you know do housings need tenant led boards, um, it is seen as kind of best practice mm-hmm. that we do, and they're really passionate about
0: it, um, so. So would you say someone like Anna is someone that's been quite a kind of role model, somebody that's inspired do you um, yeah, within definitely. her role?
1: Definitely, there's loads of folk in Casamark like that but when you think of Anna and, you know, I think, it's swear I get my figures wrong, but, you know, having five or six children, doing all the things that you d- a parent needs to do yeah. whilst also heading up, in a voluntary basis, mm-hmm. unpaid basis, for years and years. Um, she's now um, in her late 70s, potentially 80 now, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's no sign of her stopping. <laughs> so I think it's um, a real role model for if you feel that like you can do something better in your community, yeah. then make a case for it, mm-hmm. try and do it, um, but also hold into account those should also be doing it, because mm-hmm. I think um, there's a real, like within our team, we've got a big volunteer development programme, and we often kind of have to reflect on, yeah, volunteering is brilliant, mm-hmm. but let's hold to account the folk who should actually be providing the service, yep, so we're litter picking three days a week in the woodland, brilliant that you're doing that, you know, we also do other things, but that's um,
0: but a big... We're but we're all also paying for a service where that should be being exactly. done already. Exactly,
1: yep. and I think that's a kind of, um, a wee bit of a, kind of issue across the sector is that let's celebrate volunteers, definitely, but you can also have really good conversations about who who should be doing this, where, where's the service that we pay for mm-hmm. that isn't delivering this, yeah. um, where's the infrastructure to support this to happen, whilst also recognising the kind of collective input, um, that mean places like the woodland are now safe to go and things like that. Mm-hmm. So
0: And do you think this is a bit off scraps and apologies, Paddy? Okay. Um do you think that like stuff that's written into the Community Empowerment Act, like P- like participatory budget and stuff like that, is have you seen that aid in that aid? Any yet, or do you think it's something that might still come? Like just thinking about, you know, those local authority budgets and people really getting more of a say in how that money's spent. So when we're talking about those type of things, and and maybe saying hand that over to us and we'll (laughs) we'll sort it, that is is in theory what should be happening. Um, But it's just whether or not we've seen that or we'll see that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's tricky because I think that like anything on Something can sound amazing on paper, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but even participatory budgeting, I feel like um, it'd have to be a real effort to get... Not effort, but it'd have to be real commitment to have people participating in the participatory budgeting so that it is reflective of the communities. And an example mm-hmm. I've got of that is I went to a participatory budgeting thing. It could have been five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. Not going to say who organised it or anything like that, but it was a, it was between two and four. So you think of a um, an area with higher than average lone parents, mm-hmm. higher than average children. So you're automatically excluding those and you do the school run.
0: Yeah, and the people in education and the yeah.
1: Well, that as well, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and it was the only event. Because I'd Quaidy does oh, are going to be a few, yeah.
0: Like some, a lot of people do like road shows where there's maybe different yeah. places, different yeah. times. Yep.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think the, um, but that was seen as you know PB, and I, I was there, so I was, I was there, and so were the kind of uh, faces that you'd expect who are yeah. involved in everything. And it's brilliant that they are involved in everything. Mm-hmm. But those little things where it's like, can we see if we're saying participatory to mean participation? is this high up on that ladder Mm -hmm, where the mm -hmm. time means you're excluding. Um, So for me, I'm quite, um, well, like, I love PB and all that, Mm -hmm. but it's like, we need to really think of, um, even the decision making, all of it should be participatory. So who's decided the venue, who's decided how that event is going to run, what what time it's at, those things that... are really important because also could be something else that's happening in the community. Someone's got their school to school and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah,
1: 100%. But yeah, I think the more of that in a genuine, authentic way Mm -hmm. is definitely... The way forward, isn't
0: it? Yeah. Um, so I think there has been stuff written up um, on PB, and I think one of the things is I- I'm not going to try and claim my memory good enough to quote <laughs> whose kind of um, structure it is, but uh, kind of rung one is it's transactional, and the last rungs it's like transformative. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of what we've seen is that transactional thing where, like, I'll show up, I'll give you my vote, and something will hopefully happen with this, you know, but it's actually, it should be a point where everything from what money's going out, where it's going, how it's been voted on, should all be decided from community members yeah. because, like you're, you're you're giving great examples of as people are more than capable of handling these decisions, these budgets. You know, um, but no, it's just when you're when you're chatting about kind of maybe challenging some of the services and and what should be happening, but also trying to pick up, you know, and improve the community at the same time. It's a kind of two prong thing, I suppose. Yeah,
1: yeah, it definitely is.
0: So, in terms of um, the past couple of years, how has the pandemic affected cast housing? I know that's <laughs> going to be majorly is the answer, but in terms of obviously, we don't need to go into like kind of front line initial COVID mm-hmm. stuff too much if you don't want. But even in terms of the changes that the kind of legacy it's leaving mm-hmm. on your organisation and how you are working,
1: yeah. So realised that in my, my wee spiel I said there I didn't touch on the actual community team's roles because it links to kind of that question mm-hmm. but within our team we have a community woodland officer mm-hmm. as far as we know still the only house association um with a woodland officer
0: and how many people um listen to this are realising that Castamon has a woodlands from <laughs> do you know it's just tucked away this <laughs> tranquil space I know it's, it's
1: amazing I love it um so we've got the community building officer. We have a digital inclusion worker, volunteer development worker, community development assistant um, as kind of core staff. And then we have uh, free land shows, including community artist, community food worker wow. and garden assistant. Mm-hmm. And loads of amazing volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the kind of pandemic, um, all that, all the... I mean, you can just imagine the amount of project budget spreadsheets and funding that kind of underpin all that work, uh-huh. um, all that had to be reprofiled. So the community of woodlands is a good example where we have an annual calendar of events and activities in the space as well as kind of impromptu um, project delivery. Mm-hmm. And we designed all that to be online. So, you know, there was virtual woodland walks where um, local families that we were already engaged with uh-huh. went around and like filmed routes nice and um that went to the woodland officer the woodland officer would make a virtual wooden walk and take people on the sights and sounds of the woodland mm-hmm. um we had you know which for
0: people shielding is uh-huh. like such a great resource uh-huh. you know because
1: i think in honestly at first we we're like we need to do something let's just redesign this but folk do genuinely say that was a lifesaver mm-hmm. um being able to still do stuff online. Um, I remember once uh, we had um, a young person who was 16 at the time, and the woodlands officer's sending him a photo, this is the wild flower I really need you to find. <laughs> um, he's like, all right. So he's going round the woodland, taking a photo. <laughs> it was hilarious. So um, they managed to find it. It was in the space that the woodlands officer thought it would be. So for us... Being able to redesign the whole calendar mm-hmm. was only possible because of the relationships we had with people in the community because mm. we you know, we couldn't go and film that walk, yeah. but the folk that we knew wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. So folk wanted to help in the community and we were saying, you know, you can participate in a safe way, can you do it X, Y, Z? Um, so that was an example of what we had to do and then um, everyth- everything can just... went online, we had book launches online, we had our writing group um, made a book, Fables from the Stables, Mm. um, a collection of their work and they worked online with a story illustrator to learn how to illustrate their own stories so it was them that did the drawings oh, nice. so you know art packs were delivered to their door mm-hmm. and they worked with the Sto- story illustrator and that was in collaboration with Nemo Arts we had weekly online art workshops again we'd be dropping uh, art packs to people's doors mm-hmm. showing them how to use zoom in close closer through the window oh. um, all the things that you know, the more you engage in these kind of conversations, the more you're like, wow, across the sector, everyone was doing variations of the same thing, mm-hmm. which is amazing that um, everyone was just responding so quickly. Um another side of things was um, Castleton were leading on the um, emergency response in the area, like the okay. food response. So, mm-hmm. and again, that only worked because of all the partnerships we had. So mm-hmm. Castleton looked together... Um, is a kind of consortium of local organisations um, the, long, the long word, the long title is Cast Not Together Community Food Action um, and that partnership started about um, six years ago and that was on the back of a local person, Thomas who at the time um, worked in the Hideaway Cafe in okay. the sports centre and I, you know, I'd seen a poster where it was like he was wanting to do a free Christmas meal on Christmas Day, mm-hmm. and I was quite new, know. I think it was the first Christmas I worked, maybe the second. And I'd seen this, and I was like, if I can help in any way, mm-hmm. let me know. And Thomas was like, you know, I can. I'm a chef. I can do all that, but I'm not. I need a bit of support at how to put an event together. Mm-hmm. And that still runs every year, as you know. We mm-hmm. do like a free Christmas meal on Christmas Day. But for that event to happen, the first one, a few of us that worked in the area supported Thomas to deliver it, and after that, it seemed really obvious, but we're like, we should really be meeting fairly regularly about food insecurity and food poverty. Mm-hmm. Castle is is um, regarded as a food desert. There mm-hmm. isn't a, a supermarket within um, the closest ones as the Tory Glen, so technically it's a food desert, so
0: I'm just thinking we could probably link the award-winning video from um, Castleton Primary yes. School for folk that want a bit more context. Um, so a group, oh, I don't know what age group, but primary school pupils. I think yeah. they were that
1: cohort. I think they were P4s. In yeah, the L, like, it called, yep. It's not fair. Yeah, it's
0: not uh, fair. So um, we'll see if we can pop that in the, the yeah. description for folk to follow up because it gives yeah. a really good context of do you know, what is the reality of not having access to a supermarket and the, the items that that provides on your doorstep and without cars and all that kind of thing, yeah. so yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a good show, that's a brilliant video. Um,
0: they came to a meeting I was at once I felt a bit starstruck. Yeah.
1: I was <laughs> yes. like,
0: yeah, I was like, ooh, like proper cheating for <laughs> them. But yeah, yeah, local celebs.
1: Yeah, they've actually just released a new film. on oh, nice. um, On the Casamount Pantry, which is, oh, cool. yeah, which... um it's just part of the Scottish Pantry Network, mm-hmm. so there's a Cassamilk Pantry in Cassamilk, which kind of links to what we're saying about Cassamilk Together. So, mm-hmm. that um, formed as a partnership, um, and loads of local organisations were involved. And we did loads of work together. For example, the first time the Glasgow Food Programme Fund came out, um, we applied um, as a consortium in order to avoid duplication, to really strengthen our partnership, to also have a cracking application, because Mm. it would be competitive, but just to basically, like, there's no point, you know, you putting something on a Tuesday at one o'clock, us also putting something on a Tuesday at one o'clock, so...
0: But how amazing is that for everyone to be able to put any kind of egos or, like, preciousness aside and say, like, actually, we're going to get the best for our local people if we all work together on this, and that's the real strength of partnership working that I think through Cast Together really comes through.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. So it meant when the pandemic was becoming more of a reality, um, I was in a good position to kind of email out everybody Mm -hmm. and say, I really think we should be responding to this in partnership. Does anyone want involved? And as you can imagine working somewhere like Castle Milk, the emails were like, ping, 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 ping. <laughs> Everyone like, yes, what can we do? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. And by March the 20th, we had our first food response up and running. Wow. Um, and I can't think of any organisation in Castle Milk that wasn't involved, whether that was folk, for example, Northview, lent a, a driver and a van mm-hmm. once a week the Julie piece, their whole soft play area and then um, mostly the main hall became a central storage point for all the mm-hmm. food. So a main thing was getting the food in to the community. Mm-hmm. We all worked together to have a centralised referral list so people could self-refer or um, folk that worked alongside people who would most benefit from, um, from food, it all became a centralised referral list. Um, meaning we we'll hopefully reach those that would, you know, really mm-hmm. would benefit most. Um, you know, folk, we had teachers from local high schools coming down to backpack. Um Youth workers from the youth complex were then delivery drivers. Um,
0: and would you say that's something that's been, like, a lasting legacy in terms of engagement with, you know, local people and families, but also in terms of partnership working, where you feel like you've kind of... Is that I think if you use a few are like if we can make it through that we can make it through anything and it puts yeah. that kind of.
1: I think it was so you know how sometimes when when um, you know you, you hear you know part of um, CLD competencies about partnership working and collaboration and you're like right yeah I understand but it's things like that that you're like that is so 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 important mm-hmm. um, even the simple act of I. Uh, Think I had everybody's phone number. Yeah, um, having people's email addresses, we had that trust already. So, for example, when I'm sending North York, and we borrow your van? They weren't like, <laughs> who are you? Like, um, <laughs> but they knew Castle together. They mm-hmm. knew of, um, myself. So it just, it just kind of worked. And again, it was a case of what needs to be done. And we'll, we'll we'll kinda do it. And I think the last and legacy like is that um at the at the time there was a real sense of um we are kinda all in this together mm-hmm. and that we all had a really every role was as valuable as the other. so mm-hmm. I was coordinating it all. Like the funding and where people were, the referral list, um and but that was as, you know, in folk were being backpackers, but that was as valuable as, well as me coordinating it, and mm-hmm. the driver was as va- as valuable as um, the the young person in the house making up a hundred packs. Mm. So, alongside all that as well, we tried to create different like platforms for participation because, as you can imagine, we had phone calls from all over, folk being like, "Oh, can I come and help? You know, I've only had two heart attacks. I can't actually walk up the hill. Mm-hmm. I've but also still been wanting asthma, to, do want to do something." Um, so we, there's a duty of care there, isn't there? Mm-hmm. We, we we didn't want to just be like, if anyone wants to volunteer, they can. Because, yeah. again, in a higher-than-average health and equality space, it, most folk did have a story to tell someone in the house shielding mm-hmm. or themselves having to shield. So we were like, right, well, we want you to be safe but you know see if i drop off 50 posters goni poster your own area i'll give you yeah. the cable ties i'll give you the hand san i'll give you the gloves so that was our poster people we called them mm-hmm. um we had our um art people so that was again buying in bulk um art materials dropping them at key people's stores and they would make up art packs for the wee ones because we just didn't have capacity running around to all um, we had, um, supported some people to do kind of open mic nights on online. Um, and also, like, key people that got involved would be saying, like, the normal, usual means for people to know what's going on in the community are now all well closed. mm mm-hmm. So if I phone you around again and tell you what's going on, go and wander around and tell mm-hmm. folks. Mm-hmm. So we we kind of did all that. But, yeah, I think the legacy is definitely, because folk were phoning us all the time. mm mm-hmm. From across the city, being like, we've heard you're up and running. How did you do that? What did you do? So, that's great. I, I think for us, it was the legacy is when there's room for partnership working and collaboration, it should be put in place before something like a pandemic kind yes. of arrives, mm-hmm. but also that actually everyone no matter, you know, any kind of local politics or anything like that. Everyone is working to the best of their ability to work alongside people in their community to
0: mm-hmm.
1: um there was a real care and empathy and compassion. Otherwise folk wouldn't have answered that email. They wouldn't have
0: Yeah. They would
1: have been unfurloughed, unfurlowed. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. But folk were furloughed and then volunteering. Yeah. Um, so
0: it says so much about the community. I think as exactly, well. so reflective exactly. of that. Exactly,
1: and I think what it tells about Casemonger as well is uh, from from observation, most places make a real effort to hire local. Mm-hmm. So, folk could walk to the the GLE piece to pack the bags. Yeah, they could walk into this um, and that again. That kind of like local economy type stuff. It's mm-hmm. like oh, that's another reason it's dead important. Um, so yeah, I think. That was all, yeah. Testament to all local orga- organisations really wanting to to do something to mm-hmm. to support folk, local people really wanting to support their neighbours and until make sure folk were informed. Um, yeah. In
0: terms of so obviously that must have came with its challenges. Like like you're saying, you've been put in situations that you just never thought. Like teaching somebody how to work Zoom through a window, like <laughs> you know, it just took us places <laughs> that we never thought. Yeah. Um, Even the the Health and Safe, I think we've done the world's biggest risk assessments until COVID came along, I think. So in terms of thinking of any challenging times, would you say for you that that is something that sticks out or is there anything else that throughout your time in CLD that Mm -hmm. you really remember that was a challenge or a difficult time but that you kind of took a lot away from and learned stuff from? Mm -hmm. So it
1: definitely was a challenge in... More of a um, like for the for example when it first hit, I worked every day all day for twenty three days, and my flatmate was just like, "You need to stop." Mm. So the kind of most tangible challenge was time. Like this needs to be sorted,
0: mm-hmm. and and I think that's reflective of the role as well yeah. because you if you're working with people in need in crisis, mm. that doesn't switch off at five o'clock When and it would be another role where you go, right, that's me, nobody's emailing me now yeah. after five and yeah. switch off. You're going to maybe have to force yourself to go up the road and knowing that actually people do are still phoning and yeah. emailing because that doesn't go away just because an office closes. Or
1: yeah, exactly. And I think that was... Um, and it, it, it's tricky to kind of explain it, but... I do think that the roles that I've had before put me in good stead to have that role. Mm-hmm, yeah. So for example, working in mental health, you really have to hone the skill of boundaries of mm. leaving that because obviously you finish your shift and you're working with a young person who's at risk of completing suicide. You have to learn to maintain your compassion, maintain your empathy, maintain drive to be there for mm-hmm. that young person but also to go home because you're no used to anybody yeah, unless um you take care of yourself and yeah. i guess that's you know it's odd to that coined the term self-care which has now mm-hmm. been commodified quite a lot but their initial thoughts around it were you know if you don't have self-care you can't be active
0: in the revolution <laughs> you can't be active mm-hmm. in community work um yeah there needs to be a lot of kind of Positive coping mechanisms yeah. when you're in, in that yeah. type of role, and yeah. particularly being people are in so much crisis. I think, yeah, I yeah
1: definitely. So the yeah, I could see it was a challenge for some people that were like they were coordinating that kind of like, oh no, it's eleven o'clock at night and someone's emailed for a for a food parcel, um, but it's then having to support that person. So that's where I would see my role in that supporting okay. your colleague to be. like completely understand that that's really difficult to hear and to see. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll deal with it first thing tomorrow Mm -hmm. because you're doing nobody any favors by running out at 11 o'clock, you know?
0: And not getting any sleep yourself and then having to show up tomorrow. And I think that's something that's really, really important, especially if you're managing a team, that's just as important as anything else. Definitely. Is there anything that sticks out in terms of, like, career highlights or really memorable moments of your time in CLD that you reflect back on really fondly? Do you know, I was thinking about that in... The ones that I kept thinking about were just those
1: wee, those wee moments, mm-hmm, and,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, one of them was, we've a youth advisory panel mm-hmm. at Castleton, which is um, one of our um, ways to try and get young people's, like, voices mm-hmm. scrutinising what we do as a housing, but also generally, like, what do they want in their community, we work in funding applications together, that kind of stuff. Um, but I remember, I honestly don't know a time scale, a couple of years ago or something, being with the group and one of them come up with an idea and the other one saying to them, right, is there a budget for that? Do we need to submit a funding application? Let's get a project proposal. Without you
0: even uh-huh. having to like say and anything. And just
1: like, you know, that way that you don't want to um, be patronising. So, but in my head, mm. I'm like, oh, my God. You're like half um, proud, half like, uh-huh. proud. you don't need me anymore. Yeah, 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 <laughs> totally. You're just like, that is what... You, what like all them kind of mini community workers, and I'm like, God, actually, you could just get a reconstituted group and go. Mm-hmm. You could start anything. You can then run a charity, like mm-hmm. so things like that. Um, alongside the kind of bigger pieces of work, I suppose, where um, you see you see things coming together. I know mm-hmm. it's not the best example, but you know, again, thinking of um, one of our the people we support with our project is um, Castamark Cooks Up Memories, which you might have seen Mm -hmm. online. So that started with uh, someone in the community um, accessing their wellbeing community chest, which was a kind of mini PB. So if you submit, there's something over the pandemic actually, people could submit an idea that they thought would improve anywhere from their close to their whole community. Mm -hmm. And they could get £200 worth of resources, but all the wraparound support to make it into a community development project. Mm-hmm. And the panel was um, local people's so a wellbeing panel, because um, we got a bit of funding to do this. And that, for me, is probably one of the most meaningful community development things I've ever done. Amazing. So some of those projects have grown arms and legs, um and this one in particular was, you know, someone contacting, I've got this idea, but don't think it's any good. And, and I was like, right, mm. I'm meeting in a garden. Met in the garden. And we got chatting about it. And was like, right, let's just try it. So fast forward, probably a year and a half now, there's now been over 500 books printed, which the Casmut Cooks Up Memory initial idea of just a social media page where people would share... A recipe and the memory associated with mm-hmm.
0: it, um, which just warms my heart so much. Oh, <laughs> so all that it.
1: it's so good, um, and yeah, so that that all came together again when I was initially chatting about. Um, we had so many different funding streams that we had to reprofile,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as long as they still met the outcomes, whether it be about social connectedness or um, well, general well-being. A lot of our kind of funding streams have those outcomes. So this person was able to really move forward with their idea where they could um they created a, a group that kind of chose what recipes, what books. They mm-hmm. worked again with Nemo Arts to graphic design it. Amazing. Um had a online book launch of storytelling and they've got about I think currently one thousand eight hundred members on their Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um but then relatively recently um, there was a fund, the Glasgow Mental Health and Wellbeing Fund, Glasgow Community Wellbeing Fund. Mm-hmm. They've all get quite similar <laughs> names. <laughs> um, they did the kind of quite unusual um, to me. You know, I still feel quite young in the sector, but you could host monies for an unconstituted group.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we applied, which
0: is a real gap.
1: Ah, uh-huh, because that's that's where you want the funding to go so we applied on behalf of ourselves um, and, and got the monies and supported two other individuals and groups so we host the monies and support them to do their project mm-hmm. and Casa Cook Memories was one of the ones that we got the monies for and part of that they're doing kind of um, at uh, three big community meals, printing more books, getting people together Their last community meal was over 50 people and the first one was over 70. And for us, we, myself and my colleague Jodie, we, um, it's very much kind of topsy-turvy the way community projects normally kind of run. So they are very much the leaders in it. We have shared with them our project planning template. As a team, we use the Gibbs reflective model mm-hmm. around, you know, what went well, what, what could you do better, what have you learned? So we are with them on that. Yeah. You know, this is a budget template and that's reached people that don't engage with us. And I should say that a barrier working in community development within housing is the obvious barrier of um, the folk you might want to engage with might be in like vented ears mm-hmm. so I don't have access to that um, none of my colleagues mm-hmm. you, you know anyone can walk into Castamark's Stables and be in X amount of vented ears and not one person would say anything mm-hmm. you know they're there for a community meal or they're there to join but it's an obvious kind of are amazing, um, I mean they were amazing then anyway but their project yeah, is really going to the project uh-huh, um, and they're a real advocate for getting involved, if you've got an idea come along mm-hmm. they're brilliant at engaging they're so um, like we've learnt loads from how they interact with people, mm-hmm. how they um, how they kind of challenge things so like th- we have conversations a lot about how you know, you, you'd have seen this as well, you know, you'll see a poster and it'll be like six week training course for us to teach you how to cook on a budget. And they're like, if anybody knows how to cook on a budget, it's folk who live are on a budget. budget. Yep. So um, this completely challenges all that but it's like there's so many amazing cooking skills
0: in Cassie Yeah, You're sharing that existing like expertise exactly. and knowledge exactly. and yeah.
1: celebrating that. Um, And also celebrating folk who are like, this is my dinner because I don't know how to cook, going to somebody show Mm -hmm. me. And then there's, you know, 20
0: comments folk going, oh, that looks brilliant. Oh, you'll get there, don't worry. Mm -hmm. So... And it probably takes the pressure off a bit as well if it's kind of like your peer group where you're like, what do you think of this and what could I add to that? Whereas when it's in that like formal format of like a class, I'm maybe a bit like, oh, totally. I can't, like I don't want to be wrong or, um, but it just c- creates a much more relaxed exactly. environment as well.
1: And we just completely are on the sidelines. So that's what I was saying to um, Bridget that runs it. I'm like. No one ever comments on our stuff. Oh, aye, because we're posting as a housing. Like, what <laughs> do you expect? <laughs> but the engagement and um, and again, as I said, the real advocate for um, for improvement and also holds us to it's is not spoken about as much. It's kind of like
0: yeah, and to to be able to draw that line and be honest and yeah. say like actually, I'm not given what yeah. the, what I could be and should be if I'm yeah. spread myself too thin. And exactly, that's when that peer support and good networks will come in to yeah. further support people as well yeah, as we kind of get to the end of the podcast yes. um, one thing I'd just like to ask is where do you feel CLD is and what kind of changes might be afoot for the, the sector? I think um,
1: community development is not a really good place as a certain itself as a essential profession that's flexible adaptable and whose insights and skill set are there to be learned from from everybody, although I am biased, Um, I feel like this is the case partly because of all the evidence over COVID that we were often those that were coordinating, leading, being essential to the COVID emergency response and also generally I just keep hearing and seeing like asset-based community development and kind of associated jargon in a wider range of contexts which is dead exciting and and brilliant to, to hear. Um, With regards to changes being afoot, I think that I feel that we're in an interesting place around, you know, professional identity. And what I mean by that is my understanding is there's inclusive routes to being registered with the CLD Standards Council so that those who haven't haven't went down an academic route are are welcomed and have access to ongoing learning, etc, which is really needed. Um, but some kind of additional thoughts around that is perhaps like a piece of work with somewhere like the housing sector um, or other sectors um, to put more of a responsibility on employers as well as individual practitioners to be aware of CLD ethics, values, competencies so that, well for a number of reasons, but so that more people access been able to register and enrich their professional identity and be part of this professional body of people and peers and networks. Um, and also so that it's taken really seriously, having community development or community engagement or community education as your core role or part of your role and it isn't you know just a title that's given, which can happen. As well, I think it would be really useful for those in certain sectors to have senior leadership, have a better understanding of what it is their staff or colleagues try to do. So the meaning behind that method that they're implementing, that stall they've got, that creative consultation, the power dynamics that they're trying to break down, the meaningful decision-making they're trying to put in place, all that. um, And I've heard loads of frustration over the years of folk perhaps being the only person from a CLD background in their organisation and not being able to move forward because of blockages from above. And I feel like that comes from not fully understanding the role that they've recruited for, which is no one's fault, um, of course, but it's perhaps a piece of work that would be interesting to do. And I volunteer myself to be the link within housing if anyone's listening. Um, And again, it could already be in place and I'm just not aware, of course. Um, and I guess finally, like I think it's worth noting that some changes should be or are afoot around, kind of around community recovery. So we touched very slightly on one or two barriers to participation. Of course, there's so many. You know, people not feeling heard in the past, understandable, distrust, lots of tokenistic participation flying around to name, but a few. However, now there's these huge complex issues such as the rising cost of living, climate crisis on top of, you know, very well-established structural inequality. And it's more of a kind of thought on how can we do better with enabling participation and voices to be heard at a time when everyday life is just hard for many. It's stressful, it's a constant worry and change needs to happen with how we enable that participation and folk leading their community recovery etc when their lived experience is an ongoing reality and then amongst all that having um you know we've all been through the pandemic and i don't know anyone who hasn't come out with kind of amplified anxiety or um that that thing that was a quirk but is now a bit problematic um And, you know, personally speaking, my, um, my general social anxiety is definitely, um, creating some very interesting social faux pas, um, alongside, alongside, them, you know, quite genuine, uh, quite genuine, um, anxiety, which I won't go into much here, but yeah, just how do we enable that and take care of each other and ourselves as a sector, um, and maybe some changes need to happen around that. I'm not entirely sure what they are, but we shall see.
0: And that's some great advice to finish on. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, thank Dave you. Haddy. You've been a great guest. So thanks so much for coming along. Thank um you. do you have anything you want to plug in terms of how people can engage with the project? Any Twitter, social media, anything like that?
1: Yeah, um our community team Twitter is at Castleton. It's mm-hmm. spelled a bit funny, so it's at and then Mm -hmm. c-a-s-s-i-l-t-o-u-n and that's the best place to kind of see what we're doing in a work capacity
0: perfect thanks much paddy and as always you can join us over on twitter at cld talks um, and find out about upcoming episodes and join in our conversations
1: thanks